Song of Solomon um, is as needed a book right now as uh, not just culturally, uh, but in our church uh, as well. Uh, if you look at just, if you just go to Amazon.com one time and you will see hundreds of thousands of books uh, for marriage. You will see tens of thousands uh, of books on everything from attraction uh, to relationships. You will see many hundreds of thousands of books uh, on sex. And yet, uh, not only is marriage in a deep dive, the second marriages uh, are actually, there's more divorces in the second marriage than the first, and there's more divorces in the third marriage than the second. And so what you see is there's this relationship with uh, marriage and sex and dating and attraction that is, it, it, it's, part, it's, it's, it's part bachelor and it's part Bible and it's kind of put together and it is flat out, it's not, it's not working real well. It's not working well at all. And um, I don't even have to look at the statistics. I can just look over the years here at Biltmore Church and I cannot think of anything more that has provided more heartache and misunderstanding and confusion uh, than what we're going to be looking at uh, in uh, the Song of Solomon, really for the, next, for the next six weeks. And I say that besides all of the stuff I've seen and read about, I mean, how good is it for God to give us a whole book in the Bible uh, about that? And how good is it that God would say, okay, I'm going to give you a whole book that deals with all of these. And it's not just for married people. It's for single people. It's not just for old people. It's for young people. All right. And so when we look at that, I would also say that um, uh, we're a word of, we're a Bible church. And I'm really thankful for that all the time, but particularly in a series like this. I've been married for 32 years. Uh, but uh, those 32 years, uh, as I looked over all the principles in the Song of Solomon, man, I have, I have busted up a lot of those. All right? I have acted foolishly, and God in his grace has provided flourishing. Right now, it's like it's the coolest part of our marriage that we've ever had in three decades. All right? So all that being said... Um, this is not coming from, oh, let's just look at five relational experts. We're going to be in God's word. We're going to go through it. I will say there'll be times when you might blush and some of you might go, I didn't know that was in the Bible. All right. Um, for your resources, we're in this. Uh, it's not all we can say in just this one sitting. If you want the resource guide, there's a bunch of stuff there so that you disciple uh, yourself and your family uh, throughout the week. You can just text the word resource to 28282 and you can, uh, and, and you can get all that stuff. But here's, the, here's one thing before we kind of jump in here. Uh, when it comes to relationships and when it comes to marriage and when it comes to even dating and when it comes to sex and all that kind of stuff, that area tends to have the most confusion. It tends to have the most heartache. It tends to have the most hurt and oftentimes the most scars. And so one of the things we want to saturate this series with is with the gospel. All right. We don't want to come and pretend church and pretend weddings and pretend marriage. We want to be able to say, this is who I am. This is where I am right now. And then bring this to the Lord and say, God, would you heal? Would you help me to flourish? Would you help my relationships to thrive? And one of the things we talk about all the time is through the gospel, God doesn't love some future version of you when you get your act together. He loves the broken you, the messy you, right where you are. And through the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority of the word of God, God can provide healing and flourishing no matter where you are on that relational continuum. So uh, with all of that being said, uh, here is uh, one last thing before we jump into verse one and get some context is I'm gonna teach this book literally. I'm not gonna be a shock jock, but I'm gonna teach it literally. And I say that for this reason, is sometimes during the, you know, the last couple of thousand years of church history, at times the church has kind of tried to make this an allegory. 
And certainly when you talk about relationships and bride and groom and all that kind of stuff, there are certainly some parallels uh, to the relationship that you can have with God through Jesus Christ. Certainly he says the church is my bride. Certainly Jesus is portrayed as the groomsman at time. Uh, but this is not an allegory about, you know, Israel's relationship with God. It's not, it's not an allegory about uh, the church's relationship with Jesus. That's not what it is. What you're gonna see is, as we walk through this, this is a love story, and yet what it shows us is some amazing principles about how, for the glory of God and the flourishing of our relationships, these things can work. So, you don't just jump in the Bible and like, hey, let's just read some poems. There's gotta be a little bit of introduction for this one in particular. And then for today, today in particular, well, we're just gonna deal with men and women in general. And um, verse one, chapter one, gives us a little bit of context and I'm gonna take a little more time than normal on this part. But look at verse one of chapter one of the Song of Solomon. It says, verse one, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's, which is Solomon's. All right, so here's the deal. Um, song of Songs was like a Hebrew idiom to say, you know, like this is the best song ever written. Now scholars debate, and it's not super crucial whether this was written by Solomon, whether it was written to Solomon, or whether it was written for Solomon. Either way, either way, it's not crucial to understanding it, but what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna assume and I'm gonna use Solomon as the person who was portrayed in here. And what you'll see is in this uh, Solomon, somebody like, how, how in the world is Solomon gonna give me marriage advice? The dude had 700 wives and 300 concubines. All right, how's that gonna work? Well, great question. Um, don't know, other than the fact that I would say, I would say obviously there's a very good chance one of two things is happening with Solomon. Either this is when Solomon is young and he's looking at it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to say, this is what love, this is what romance, this is what dating can be like. Or it's maybe Solomon at the end of his life looking back at the regret that he had, much like he had in Ecclesiastes. A second thing you need to know just as we get started, is this is in a section of your Bible, there's five books right in the middle of your Bible that are typically referred to either as poetry or wisdom literature. Wisdom in the Bible is basically the skill to navigate certain areas of life. And there's five books that are designated that in your Bible. So you got the book of Job, the book of Job kind of tells us, okay, how do we navigate in a godly fashion? How do we navigate trials? Then you've got Psalms and Psalms is like, okay, how do I have this relationship with God and how awesome God is? And then Proverbs is life. And then you've got Ecclesiastes and how do I make sure I don't go around the cul-de-sac of stupidity over and over and over again, thinking that this next thing the world gives is gonna fully and finally satisfy me. And then the fifth book is called the Song of Solomon, the Song of Songs. And this is about, it is about love. And here's what you'll see. There's three characters in this book. There's a, there's a woman, the Shumanite woman is what she's referred to. There's a woman. She actually speaks 53% of the time. Then there's the man. He speaks about 35% of the time. And then there's like a group of the lady's friends. And then they speak the rest of the time, kind of her friends and her family. It's like, hey, this is good. This is good. This is good. But understand this is poetry. I know we got a lot more plumbers than poets in here. And I, I'm just understanding that I know poetry is like, hey, I don't know poetry. So I'm going to try to break it down as best I can into some everyday language. But here's the deal with poetry. You can't see it sometimes like it's in the Hebrew because the way they put it in, the way they kind of orchestrate it, where they line up with different letters and all that stuff. And there's definitely some cultural leaps you've got to make. And we'll, we'll have some fun with those. 
But think of it like this. This is more, this book reads more like an epistle is very linear. Point A, uh, point 1A, point 2, point 2A. That's not the way this book is written. This book is poetry. It's like jazz more than a symphony, okay? And so in some ways, this is a little harder to outline. Uh, So there's these themes that you see though. And what you see, here's what you see in this book and then we'll, we'll get into the text. What you see in this book is you see this man and you see this woman and you see them progressing initially with attraction, then with dating and then in covenant marriage and then on a honeymoon. Probably week four is a great week to If you have little kids, great week to check out the children's ministries. Probably a great week. We'll give you a heads up on that. Week five is actually how do you, they actually, how do you navigate conflict when you get really ticked off, when you have conflict in your home? How do you navigate that in a godly way? And then they actually show us some great principles on how do you keep the fire burning when you start getting old? When you start getting older, how do you keep this most important of relationships alive? And so all that being said, what we're gonna see is today is again, men and women, it's gonna apply to both married and not married. And uh, lastly, if you're new to our church, I know there's a lot of terms out there that haven't been there a long time, words like toxic masculinity and gender fluidity and all those kind of words that maybe five or six years ago we didn't know. Let me just reinforce it again. We're a Bible church. We're gonna teach God's word unapologetically. I'm not gonna be crass. I'm not gonna be unnecessarily shocking. I'm just gonna teach what the Bible teaches, all right? And when I teach what the Bible teaches, there'll be some times you're like, that's not culturally correct. You know, we need to be much more concerned about being biblically correct than culturally correct. And so as we look at this, we're gonna stand on what he says about men, about women, and here's what he says. He says, and, and, and before we get, and by the way, if you are married here and if you happen to be sitting by your spouse or watching on, the, on YouTube or something with your spouse, let me give you a heads up. We're gonna, we're gonna deal with the men on the front end and the ladies on the back end. So just a word to the wise, not a great idea to elbow. If you're with your spouse, not a great idea because your time is coming, all right? Your time will be, it will come. But here's what the Bible teaches real clearly. The first, very first few pages of the Bible. It says that God created men and women. Listen to me carefully, this is super important. He created men and women, created men and women, image bearers of God, both equally image bearers of God, equal in the sight of God, equal but different, equal but distinct. The word pictures you see in the Bible are like two pieces of a puzzle who are not exactly the same and they're not altogether different and they fit together perfectly or in a complementary kind of fashion. And then what's amazing is uh, he, he tells Adam, hey, name the animals. And you can imagine how, can you imagine, like I was thinking about this this week, the first part of naming the animals, he probably, he was coming up with some awesome names, you know, flatbill platypus and uh, rhinoceros. And then he just got probably tired. It's like bat, cat, rat, whatever. He just started real quick. But then, but then God's like, he knocks the guy out and he brings from the man, a woman. And the word woman, Hebrew essentially means out of me or mine. And after he does that, he names all these animals and he sees the woman and then he sings the first love song the moment he lays eyes on her and essentially says, when he looks at the woman, that is mine, which is an echo of the Song of Solomon where it says, my beloved is mine. All right, let's jump. Song of Solomon, chapter one, verse two. 
let, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. She's actually talking about her friends. Her friends are like, man, that guy's good. That guy's, he's not a player. That guy's like really good. Verse four, draw me after you and let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. In other words, I'm taking you home to mama. We will exalt and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly, rightly do they love you. So here's, here's the, uh, some of your translations, it kind of goes he, she, they, and all that stuff. Just remember, the text is inspired, the titles, the, sub, the headings over it, those are helpful, they're just not inspired. But generally speaking, they do help us to say, okay, this is her speaking, this is him speaking, this is them speaking. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna spend about 10 or 12 minutes on what are two characteristics of a godly man. Not a perfect man, there's been one perfect man, his name is Jesus, and uh, the rest of us, though, can pursue godliness. And so whether you're a husband, whether you want to be a husband, this is, what you're, this is what we're talking about. This is two characteristics of what a godly man is in the Song of Solomon. First one is this. A godly man is growing in godly character. He's growing in godly character. Now check out the first few verses. Now listen to me carefully. She is attracted to him physically. I know that makes people nervous, but there's no doubt when you look at this text, she is like, I mean, look at her words. She's like, you are like fine wine. I mean, you smell good. I want to, she's not going to, because I, I want to kiss you. I mean, when I look at that man, I mean, he's, she likes what she sees. She likes what she sees. And she's thinking about it. And again, some of it is physical. She's like, I wanna kiss him. He smells good, he brushed his teeth, he took a shower, he got essential oils on, all that stuff. Now, again, nothing wrong, nothing wrong with physical attraction. Let's be honest, the first thing you see in a person is not their moral character normally because that takes some time. The first thing you tend to see is phys and I don't know what, what is that chemistry? I don't know, but you look across the room and you're like, I like what I see. I like that. First time I looked across the classroom there at a church in Fort Worth and I saw Lori Masters, I'm like, I hadn't even met her, but I'm like, I like what I see. I like the way she smells. And I wasn't some crazy guy that went over there and, you know, smell, don't be that guy, all right? And we'll call security on you. But the whole point is, is guess what? That's the first thing you tend to notice. Now listen to me. I got a bunch to cover, but physical appearance is the first thing. The trouble happens when it's the only thing. The trouble happens when it's just external. Verse three says, your name, your name is oil poured out. She's saying your name, your reputation, your integrity, your character, he goes, it, it's smooth, it pours out like oil. Now listen to me on this one. Character is what somebody is when other people aren't looking. 
Now we all have character flaws, but what she's saying is, listen, I've asked my family, I've asked my friends, that's what verse four is. The virgins are her girlfriends and the girls are talking about this guy and like this guy's not a serial dater, he's got a good reputation, he's got high character. In today's time, it's easier to figure out, I mean, today in our very visual society with cell phones and cameras and nanny cams everywhere, I mean, there's not a week that goes by where some camera doesn't catch something somebody's doing when they don't think anybody's looking. I mean, you got some gross stuff. You got people, I've seen ones where they're like, you know what, this restaurant worker urinated in the food of the patrons. I mean, like, oh, because they didn't think anybody was looking. You know, nursing home scandals, all that stuff. They're like, I'm seeing something in here. But characters, you know what? I, this is who I am when nobody else is looking. And ladies, what you're looking at is you're looking for, okay, there's gotta be more than just it looks great in Wranglers. There's gotta be more than that. There's nothing wrong with he looks great in Wranglers. Nothing wrong with the fact that he's got all of his teeth. But the idea is, guess what? Guess what? There's more there. There's more there. He's got some character there. Now, again, uh, her friends and her family approve. That's who he's talking about in verse four. And let me just say this. I know depending on which service you're at and all this stuff is where a lot of our young singles go. But if you're in your 20s and you're, in your, and you're single, if your mom and your dad and your friends are, have, are telling you, don't date that guy. Ladies, listen to me. If, if they're telling you, watch out for that guy, be careful of that guy. I know you think he's cute. I know you think he's a good time. And I know you, but if they're like danger, Will Robinson, danger, listen, please listen to them. Please listen to them. You're like, my mom and dad don't know anything. I mean, they were back in, you know, the black and white photographs. Listen, they, they've been around a long time and they've seen different guys and they can pick up on different guys. And if they're like, be careful of that guy, that guy does not have your best intentions at heart. Listen to them. And if they say something great, listen to them as well. I distinctly remember I was sitting there at a single social way back and I was a seminary boy. My brother had come down to visit and we went to this social and, he, and Lori was like serving Diet Cokes. You know, we had barely met. We had barely met, maybe three weeks before that. And she's over there serving people and all this godly gorgeous that we talk about a gospel fox. And I go up there, I'm like, hey, you thirsty? You need something? You need? And so I'm going up there. I come back and she's like, he actually says, he says, you're gonna marry that girl. I'm like, what? I just met her three. He's like, you are gonna marry that girl. Now again, guys, if somebody says that to you, do not go up to the, the lady. It's like, hey, we're gonna get married. Don't say that. Just file it back for later on when you've been married about 10 years. But the idea was my brother was like, you know what? You, you're gonna marry her one. If you don't marry her one day, we're gonna divorce you. Cause you know what? She's sharp, all right? She's sharper than you are. And, and, and that's the lady you need to be around. And so what are some characteristics of a godly character? I would say this, you see this in this story. You see humility. Does a guy know... Does the guy know the Lord? I'm talking about a church boy. Gosh, I just want to be so blunt right now. I'm not talking about just a church boy, ladies. Seriously. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of boys that can shave that go to church. They are. They're just little boys. They might be 30, they might be 35 years old, but they're just little boys. They do not have your best, they do not value you. And so does the person, obviously has the initial thing been, is he bowed the knee to the Lordship of Christ? That's obviously the first thing. Is this, is this guy teachable? Is he teachable? Because here's the deal about teachability. That guy is gonna change multiple times in the years ahead. And if he's teachable, 
then what he's going to do is he's going to change, generally speaking, for the better. If he's not teachable, if his pastors can't talk to him, if his connect group teacher can't ever speak any sense into him, if all he is is under nobody's authority at all, if he never listens to his parents, guess what? What makes you think he's going to grow in godliness if you get serious with him? Um, commitment. Again, he's not a, he's not a player. Uh, he's not, a, I mean, the culture today is hook up, shack up, break up, repeat. Hook up, shack up, break up, repeat. That is not the guy you're looking for. And here's what you gotta understand. Here's, here's I got one more thing. Um, if you think that guy is gonna change just because you get him to dress up in a tux on a June day and walk down an aisle, just because of that thing, and his whole last six years has been one direction, and all of a sudden saying a few words in front of a preacher is gonna change him, you are fooled. It's not his intention, it is what direction is he going now? I'm not talking about perfection. Don't have a checklist that's like, this guy's gotta be perfect. I'm saying, is he humble? Is he teachable? Is he committed? Is he going somewhere? Is he working in ministry? Does he love people? Does he respect older people? That's what you're looking for. So check out what, I gotta, I gotta make sure I save time for the guys so, or the ladies. So look at verse five. I am very dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. She's insecure. She says, do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. She's a country girl, all right? She's uh, got a farmer's tan. She's having to work all the time outside. Look how it expresses itself. My mother's sons were angry with me. We don't know much about it. Dad's not in the picture anywhere. She doesn't think too much. She doesn't call them her brothers. My mother's sons were angry with me. So they made me keeper of the vineyards. Worked outside a lot, but my own vineyard I have not kept. In other words, I've been so busy working outside, I haven't been able to take care of myself. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, we'll talk about this next week, but tell me, you whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock. I mean, what she's saying is she's basically giving him an invitation to lead. Where are you going to be at? All right, where are you, you going to be? What time are you going to be at Starbucks? When is that going to happen? Because like, I kind of want to make sure I'm right by there. Where you make it lie down at noon. For why should I be like the one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? Those are the prostitutes. And then the guy starts talking. If you do not know, oh, most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock. He's starting to lead now. And pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tents. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. And some of you are like, if I said that to my wife, she'd hit me. But it's like, no, it's really, it's really a good, it's, 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 we're going to talk about romantic lines from the Song of Solomon. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. Second characteristics of a godly man is he's honoring to her. He's honoring to her. First Peter chapter three, verse seven, one of the best verses you need to memorize as a husband's. Live with your wife in an understanding way and grant her honor. Live with your wife according to knowledge and grant her honor. The word honor there means a decision to place high value on something. It's a decision to say that thing is worth more. That thing is to be valued. And so the way he does it here and the way he does it all throughout the book is by what he says. Amen? Let's just talk about words. He does it throughout the book. He uses words to show value to her. Now, verse nine might've felt kind of weird. He's like, you know what? You are a mare 
among Pharaoh's chariots. Pharaoh thought he was God. He would have all these stallions come out. And so a mayor would have stood out. And so what he's saying is, listen, man, you stand out among everything else. Everybody's sitting there looking, but I see just you. You're the one that I'm looking at. You're the one that's awesome. Now there's some, there's some stuff in here I'm not gonna encourage you to watch. I mean, this romantic lines, one place says, your hair falls in waves like flocks of goats frisking across the slopes of Gilead. You might, you know, that's, that's, that's PhD work right there. So you might wanna wait on that one. Here's one. Uh, your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn coming up from washing. Each has a twin. Not one of them is alone. I love that one because it's like basically you got all your teeth. I mean, that's a great deal. It's like, you know what? You're not from Arkansas. You got all of your teeth, all right? We, we, this is a high standard he's setting. So bottom line is though, he's trying. He's showing value. And I mean, just be as blunt as I can be. Every single woman I've ever known struggles with insecurity, including your spouse. Every single woman that I've ever known struggles with insecurity. She's asking this question, am I valuable? Am I beautiful? Am I pretty? Am I lovely? And we live in a world that gives a barrage, a barrage of lies. And the enemy is always speaking lies to our ladies, always speaking lies. Basically like, you know what? You're either one of two things. You're either a man with a skirt or you're just a body that's a commodity. That's all you are. And you, you are the one that is supposed to, you know what, you, you are valuable, you are valued. Now listen, ladies, you are valuable and you deserve to be treated valuably. And you're so valuable, Jesus would die for you. Now ultimately your security is not in the love of a man. It's in the, I mean, if I can just be so blunt to say, I would say a lot of the ladies, some of your deepest scars, some of your deepest hurts are because a man hurts you. And I would just say this, your identity has got to be in the perfect man that shed his blood for you. That's got to be your identity. Now the husband, or he's supposed to come alongside and help that, but bottom line, you're not even what he says, you are what God says about you. And husbands were to be an echo of the gospel in our wife's ear. So here's what the Bible says. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, life and death are in the power of the tongue. And here's my challenge to us guys, be specific this week, be specific. You look fine is not specific. It's not. Now, if you draw it out a little bit, it's better. If you're like, you are fine. I mean, that's better than you're fine, but the idea is be specific. I mean, he draws an analogy. You're like a mare in one of Pharaoh's chariots. And so what are some, let me just help you out here. What are some ways you can help? Things like, you know what? You come first in my life before kids, career, friends, anything. How about, you know what, baby, I'm, I'm glad that I'm, this, hey, you ought to be writing these, men, you ought to write these things down, all right? You ought to, all right? I'm glad I married you. You're the best friend that I have. If I had to do it all over again, I would still marry you. If you're married, I wanted you today. Good night, son. I thought for sure, if I said that, the married men would say amen. And I was like, my God. Good, all right, all right, give you some chances later on. I missed you today. I couldn't get you out of my mind today. It's nice to wake up next to you again if you're married. Uh, I, will, uh, I will always love you. Man, your eyes sparkle when you smile. That's not bad, I mean, you can say that. Uh, as always, you look good today. 
Hey, I, pray, I'm pray, I prayed for you this morning. Or here's one. Sometimes Christian men in particular, you get kind of high on your high horse and you're like, well, I'm the, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the leader here. Why don't you be the lead repenter, all right? Why don't you be the lead repenter? Some of you came to church today and you were mad at each other. You had a fight this weekend. You still hadn't gotten over it. Why don't you be the lead repenter and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know what? I'm sorry I did that. I'm sorry I said that. A buddy of mine named Matt Carter's got a great book and he talks about if you've lost the heart of your wife, can you ever get the heart of your wife back? He says a couple things about this. He says, I will tame my tongue when it comes to my wife. I need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. I will talk to my wife the way that I would if a special and important person were visiting in my home. I will strive to serve my wife every day. I will win my wife's heart so she in turn will want to be mine. You know, that's very, very biblical. You know what she says in about verse 14? Here's what she says. She said, my love is like the vineyard in En Gedi. You're like, what does that even mean? En Gedi was the place that David would go to get refuge. It was like an oasis in a desert. Men, let me ask you the question. Would your spouse say that about you? Man, when I come home, when I see my husband, it is an amazing refreshment. It is full of peace and restoration and joy, and I can't wait to see him. That's our goal this week. Because a lot of times, Christian women, in a good way, was like, I'm committed to the marriage, I'm committed to the marriage, and sometimes that's all you got to hold on to. But that's not what you want to be satisfied with, men. You don't want to be satisfied with just saying, hey, man, she's just hanging on for dear life. You want her to go, man, I like that, man. My love came leaping over the mountains. That's what you want to have happen. And you can do it. It might not happen overnight, but it can happen over time. And so as we look at this, uh, one of the ways, and I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta go quick, but I tell you, one of the best things you can do, and some people poop on this deal, but one of the most helpful tools, non-biblical tools, it's not unbiblical, it's just not in the Bible, is that Five Love Languages book by Gary Chapman. If you hadn't read that, man, get the book and just read it. Read the cliff notes, read the spark notes or something. Basically what he talks about, and this is what you see in this Song of Solomon. Somehow Solomon knows what to speak to his wife, to his woman. It's not even his wife yet. So what does he say? She's like, I'm insecure. My skin's all leathered up. I got a farmer's tan. I don't like, because what happened is back in those days and time, the more money you had, the more you could stay indoors. And so she's a poor country girl. She's got to go outside and it's opposite of today, correct? I mean, today it's like, what's the standard of beauty today? Standard of beauty today is let me, <laughs> let me go out and burn my skin to a crisp. But back then, if you were like pasty white, that's what was the standard of beauty. And so she's really insecure about the way she looks. And what does he come alongside? He comes alongside and knows what to say, when to say it, and how to say it. Now you need to know that. You need to know, what it, you need to know some stuff about your wife. You need to know what restaurant she likes to go to. You need to, and some of you are like, well, I ain't got no money. We're going to give you a deal in a couple of weeks about like cheap dates in Western North Carolina, all right? I mean, you can go for like a dollar, all right? We're going to give all that stuff right there. But five, you need to know at least, how does my wife, because the five love languages basically says, the way you receive love is the way we tend to give it. So I'll give you an example. There's like five love languages. One of them is like gifts and words of affirmation and affection and acts of service and all this stuff. So mine, the way I tend to receive love is basically words of affirmation and gifts. So if you want to tell me you love me, just give me a gift card and tell me how great I am. That's all you got to do. That's, that's about it. All right. But that's not, that's not Lori. All right. Lori, Lori is like affection. 
So instead of a gift card, it's much more meaningful to her, even if it's, even if it's just like tap her on the shoulder, hold her, hold her hand, open the door, help her in, all that stuff, all right? Not help her in the car, not pat her on the neck, comma, all right? Just help her in the car, period, all right? That's, that's, because if not, what I'm doing is I can get mad and say, you know what? She's not understanding. I'm showing her I love her. That's what men do. I mean, that's what sometime we do. Husbands, we're guilty of this. We treat our wife sometime like a trophy. All right, you get the buck, all right? You, 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 you kill him, you, you get him mounted, you put him on the wall, you never think about him again, all right? That's not the way marriage is supposed to go, all right? I'm gonna pursue my wife. If you're, a, if you're a husband, next six weeks, biggest thing you can do is like, you know what, I wanna pursue. I wanna pursue my wife in such a way that she actually wants to see me. She doesn't just have to see me, all right? So um, that's the goal. Now, Ladies, you ready? I love you, so I'm gonna say it up on the front end. I love you, I love you, I love you. And I would say this, every time the Bible or the gospel inter- intersects in a culture with ladies, it always elevates the role of ladies. Every time. I challenge you to show me one place where the Bible or the gospel accurately actually applied doesn't do it. Jesus, when he, he elevated the role of, even in the Song of Solomon, in that day and time, in this day and time, for her to write 53% of this book was at least a step. Not the ideal, but it was heading toward the ideal. So let me, uh, let me be fair and say, let's look at some of the same verses and use one of the same ones as well. Is a godly woman is growing in godly character. A godly woman is growing in godly character. Now, I know I gotta be careful here, so listen to, listen to what I'm saying and what you see in the text it's not saying that the exterior is not important. It's not that it's nothing. It's not saying that. You could say basically do the best you can with what you got. It's not that the outside is unimportant. You see a bunch of external things in here. But if it's the only thing, it's gonna head for trouble. Or to put it in another way, gravity and time are not your friends. Now, I know if you have some extra change, you can nip it and you can tuck it and you can Botox it and you can look like Joker on Batman and you can do all that kind of stuff. But bottom line is, gravity and time are not your friends. So when you look at this, the exterior is important, but it's not all important. When you look at this one, you, uh, Proverbs 11 actually says, a, like, a pig, like, like a gold ring in a pig's snout, is a beautiful woman, beautiful woman with no discretion. In other words, a lady who looks amazing on the outside but has no inner godliness at all is like a, it's like a pig that is like, oh, you got that awesome one thing that's great, but it's like I, I can't even see the gold because of, of the pig. Now, um, again, verse five is where she's talking about that. And by the way, here's, I didn't notice this until like Thursday or so. Verse five, she's very self-conscious about the way she looks. It's like, man, I've been having to work outside. Don't like this farmer's tan. Just, you know, I'm, she's very self-conscious about it. But by the time, if not even her husband yet, but by the time Solomon encourages her, listen, by the time Solomon encourages her, you get to chapter two, verse one. And what she <laughs> chapter two, verse one, she's like, I am a rose of Sharon and I am a lily of the valley. 
think it was a coach a long, 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 long time ago. He said it true. He said, once you've been married about five or 10 years, that look in your wife's eye has been put there by you. In other words, if your wife is discouraged and depressed and you've been married five years, 10 years, guess what? You own a lot of that right there. And what you see here is you see him speaking into her. It's like, man, I wanna be with you, saying all these words, and then she's gaining in this, which, again, humility, by the way, is not, be careful about humility, ladies. Humility is, I mean, she's a humble lady in here. She's humble. She's like self-conscious, but humble. Just realize humility is not dogging yourself all the time, and it's not like, oh, I'm so ugly. That's not it at all, because that kind of humility can very quickly go to like the evil first cousin. Um, and that's just insecurity. And insecurity, insecurity then goes into stuff, well, relationally, stuff like codependency. And I gotta have a boyfriend and I gotta have this. And if I don't have this, I'm not gonna be complete. And we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks, but listen to me, ladies, for the final time, please do not think that there's a guy that's gonna complete you. You are complete. The only one that completes you is Jesus. Thinking some guy is gonna come alongside and complete you Look around. I mean, have you seen these guys? You think this is the best, this is the best Western Carolina's got. And you're thinking, oh, that guy, that joker's gonna complete me. No, they are not gonna complete you. Um, again, and it's not wrong. I know it's cool. It was cool for about 10 years in Christian circles to, to not even wanna be married. It's not wrong to wanna be married. I challenge you, show me a verse that says it's wrong to, to wanna be married. All I'm saying is, Regardless of what Jerry Maguire says, you don't look, the person who completes you is Jesus, all right? And part of uh, your humility is you've got some godly friends around you. In verse four, those are the godly friends that are talking. It's like, yeah, he's good. Yeah, he treats you right. Yeah, he's not a player. Yeah, he doesn't play with girls' hearts and just dump them. Yeah, that's it. So you got some godly friends around you. Which, by the way, an easy plug for, and guys, this is where if your wife at the start of the year now, she's like, hey, we need to get in a connect group. We need to get in a connect group. I mean, just how easy of a, how easy is that for you to do? You're like, we tried a connect group and, you know, some people said, you know, every connect group, there's like two or three weird people. I mean, every connect group. And that's true. It is true. It is true. You're like, not our connect group. Well, I got news for you. Okay. <laughs> You're it, all right? So um, point is, you gotta have some community, community. I'm sure that's gonna come across awesome. All right, verse seven, verse seven, she is holy. Now look what happens. Now this, she's holy. Verse seven says, you know what? Don't make me be like the person that puts a veil. Now in that culture, the person that put the veil over there and didn't, you know, was the prostitute. In other words, she says, I'm not gonna dress like a prostitute. I'm not gonna act like a prostitute. Uh, by the way, both her and Solomon draw the line, the sexual standard, all right? It's not where is the line, it's when is the time. It's not where is the line. Single people, that's not, it's not where is the line, all right? How close can we get? It's not where is the line, it's when is the time. And sex is for married people, all right? Sex is for married people. Not I wanna be married or I'm gonna be married or I used to be married or I'm married in my heart. It's not any of that stuff. It's sex is for married people. That is the time, all right? That's the environment. And he's like, go for it. God is not anti-sex, all right? God is pro-sex. It's just within the right environment, which is in a covenant relationship of married. So, all right, last point, and that is this. She encourages Man, I thought long and hard about this, and I please listen to me, ladies. Please hear me on this, wives particularly. She encourages, she does not criticize. She is his cheerleader 
way more than she is his critic. And we talked about this in Ephesians 5 months and months ago. I'm not saying, and the text doesn't even indicate that they don't, you're going to see they do have conflict. She does say some things for sure. And there is a way to have a godly conflict and not dishonor and disrespect. But generally, she is his cheerleader. I mean, basically, this whole first chapter is you look good, you smell good, you, are, you have a great reputation, you were thought highly of by other people, and then she invites him to actually, actually lead. And then she kind of, especially in marriage, listen, she kind of flirts with him a little bit. She kind of flirts with him a little bit. Go to chapter two one time, and she's like, you are like a gazelle. And she's like, you're like a young stag. Ladies, you missed it just like the guys did. I'm like, she is looking and saying, you're like a stud. You're like a young stud leaping over the mountain, coming to get me on a date. And, uh, okay, all right, too late, too late, too late. All right, Um, but here's here's the, the tendency, and you can go back in the theology of the fall. The theology of the fall is this. Men have a tendency to neglect their wives, a tendency. Look in Genesis chapter three. This is a summary of it. Men, husbands have a tendency to neglect their wives. Wives have a tendency to, in the Bible word would be nag their husbands. Now, before you write me a a note, this is one of many verses. Um, Proverbs 21 it is better to live in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Because that's the deal. The opposite of encouraging is quarrelsome is what the term for the Bible is. Verse 19 says, it is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome or a fretful woman. Now, ladies, I'm not saying you don't have difficult conversations, you don't address issues, but I've never been a woman, okay? Been married to one for 32 years, but I've been a guy all my life. So, Here's what I know to be true about guys. Here's what I know to be true about husbands. And this is not a stereotype. This is, this is facts. Criticism to him feels, it feels like a hostile takeover. Criticism to him feels like a hostile takeover. When you're like, here's 20 ways you were wrong. Here's 20 ways you should have done it better. You're like, I'm trying to help him. I'm trying to help him. I understand, how's that working for you? Because here's what, he, here's what you're up against. Hollywood has told him he's an idiot, that the, the pet is the hero and the dad is the idiot. And when you look at this, uh, I would, again, what's your man wants more from you than anything else is respect. Let me say it again. What's your husband wants more than anything from you is respect. I read a survey to you one time that, about how this actually fleshes itself out. They said to the men, would you rather be unloved and completely left alone in the world or thought of as inadequate and disrespected? 74% of men said they would rather be left un, unloved and left alone in the world than thought of as an adequate. 80% of women said the complete opposite. Let me repeat what we said, talked about in Ephesians 
uh, chapter five. Every single man has a fundamental question he's asking, and that is, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? And if you don't, you're like, he won't lead, he won't lead, he won't lead, he won't lead. And Christian women are like, he won't lead, he won't lead. Men lead where they feel competent to lead. Men lead, now he's gonna lead one way, he's either gonna be a good leader or he's gonna be a bad leader. But men lead where they feel competent to lead. And that's what frustrates you sometimes because you see him lead at work. He's got all these strategy sessions and people pay him to do that work and they like give him a performance review and a goal watch and a bonus and all that kind of stuff. And then he comes home and he's just like passive and it's like, why won't you lead? Why won't you lead? You only read the Bible to us. And we, we try to prove it initially growing up with grades and sports and all that kind of stuff. And again, we talk, the gospel tells us initially, the gospel tells us we do not have what it takes. I mean, God has to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, that is the gospel. But when it comes to living and leading, a man will lead where he feels competent to lead. And where he does not feel competent to lead, it's not that he'll lead poorly, he will just throw his hands up and say, I won't do it at all. And, and, and ladies, let me just say this, you are to be the echo of the gospel to your husband. Men are not complicated. We're just not, all right? We're like puppies, all right? We'll repeat what you reward. That's, that's the truth. You, you reward this, that's very, very awesome. Yeah, let's do it again, let's do it again. We will do that. We will repeat what you reward. And so ladies, here's my deal. Any guy in here, any guy listening, any guy at any campus, I hope, at least any, at least I'm talking about the married guys right now. They're gonna try this week, maybe even this afternoon. They're gonna try. And so ladies, here's my, I'm just begging you. Don't shoot them down. Now listen, they're not gonna be awesome. They're not gonna be talking about you looking like a mare among Pharaoh's chariots and your teeth are like the lamb's wool. They're not gonna be doing that. They're not. But he might do something like this. Hey, uh, hey, uh, you Go get some dinner. Do not say, please don't say, have some imagination. We went to dinner last night. Let's do something different. I promise you, he'll clam up. It's like a turtle as well. When you wrestle a turtle, he's pull his head back in. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go out there. So listen, when he wants to, uh, he's going, some of them are going to try to read the Bible with you and maybe pray for you this week and pray with you and pray with the kids and get a Jesus storybook Bible. And they're going to try to do that. Don't say it. You mispronounced Haggai. You mispronounced that. It's not Hag. It's not Haggai. It's Haggai. It's not Malachi. It's not Italian prophet. It's Malachi. That's who it is. Don't don't correct him. And if he compliments you, man, if he compliments you, if he compliments you, this is amazing. If he compliments you, man, just that's so awesome. He's like, hey, you look good. Thank you, baby. You do too. I mean, that's not hard. It's not hard. But here's the deal. You can't do this by yourself just like I can. You can't. You can't do it by yourself. You're going, if you walk out of this room and go, man, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. But you've not initially bowed the knee to Jesus Christ and then secondly said, you know what? By the power of the Holy Spirit, by the authority of the scriptures, because of the love of the Father and the encouragement of a church and the sacrifice of the Son of God, you, know, you can say, you know what? There's, there's not a whole lot of verses about do this, do this. The gospel is all about what God has done. But in light of what God has done, he, we can do better. We can do better. Men, we can do better. Ladies, we can do better. 
All right, so here's what I'm going to do. I try to, I've tried to figure out what's the best way to do this. And ladies, you are, you are the backbone of the, you're the, you're the backbone of the church. You're the backbone of families. But men, you and I are supposed to be the servant leaders. And so here's what I would say to do. Just, uh, I think it'd probably be appropriate as we start this journey uh, together, not to be misogynistic, not to be any of that stuff. But I do want to call the men uh, to just pray. And uh, ladies, you can pray too, but I'm going to ask the men, if you're like a man, it's like, man, I want to be a more godly husband. I want to have a gospel-centered marriage. I want to be a gospel-centered man that could be a great husband one day. Uh, this would be your time to just, um, we just installed all these prayer benches on the front of every, I think it's at every campus now. And so once you bow your heads and close your eyes, and I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to ask, uh, even during the course of the prayer, if men, if you're like, you know what, I want God to do something extraordinary in my life and in my home and in my relationships. And it's got to start with me. It's got to start with me. And I want my home to be gospel centered. I want to be a servant leader and I need to repent in a lot of different areas. Uh, why don't you just make your way to the front and you begin to pray and uh, just, you just say, God, I want to see a victory. I want to see a victory in my home, whether you're at Hendersonville or Brevard or West or East Asheville, Franklin, wherever you are, Men, go ahead and start making your way to the front, and I'm going to pray for us. Father, I want to pray that, uh, I want to pray so much that just during the next couple of minutes, that song, that theme, that idea that, you know what, we're going to see a victory, what the enemy meant for evil. Our homes are disjointed, they are divided, but God, that you, you, you can turn those around for good. And God, I pray particularly for the, the men here today that you would cause us to serve, to sacrifice, to love, and to lead in a way that allows our homes to flourish and brings glory to God. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.